Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. James 1, 2 to 4. Hoy Dios nos habla en su palabra a través de Gálatas 5, 22 al 24 y Santiago 1, 2 al 4. Mas el fruto del Espíritu es amor, gozo, paz, paciencia, benignidad, bondad, fe, humildad y dominio propio. Contra tales cosas no hay ley. Los que son de Cristo han crucificado la naturaleza pecaminosa con sus pasiones y deseos. Hermanos míos, considérense muy dichosos cuando tengan que enfrentarse con diversas pruebas pues ya saben que la prueba de su fe produce constancia, y la constancia debe llevar a feliz término la obra, para que sean perfectos e íntegros sin que les falte nada. Palabra de Dios. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, so, depending on your translation, the translation of the Bible, the word joy or rejoice is found over 300 times in the Bible. In fact, it could be argued that joy uh, is an important, um, if not central, theme of the Bible. And yet, although, although that's true, too often joy, it feels really elusive, doesn't it? Joy can so often feel very intangible for many. I mean, what is joy? What does it mean to pursue joy? Do we even have control over whether or not we feel or experience joy. And here's one of the things that I find particularly challenging about joy. In 1 Peter, the apostle writes about a joy unspeakable. And that phraseology has always resonated with me because it indicates the way that joy seems to be indescribable. It seems to be really intangible. I mean, what is joy? And the other thing that I've experienced when I've heard about joy is that joy often seems trite or idealistic. When it's explained or it's described, it's really hard to know what it is. Explanations of joy rarely are sufficient to actually produce joy in us. But what's interesting is that when we do experience joy, the experience leads to an unmistakable, it's unspeakable, it's hard to put into words. Now today we continue on our series, uh, The Fruit, which has been a very slow look at looking at Galatians 5. And today we're going to be continuing on looking at the fruit of the Spirit, focusing specifically on joy itself. Now for the next 30 minutes or so, I am going to try really hard to define and articulate for us biblical joy. But in the end, my hope is not that you'll just be able to describe joy, but rather I hope that you have that indescribable experience of joy, a joy unspeakable. And so to help us understand what joy is, let's consider three things. First, let's consider what it is, let's consider what it produces, and then let's consider why it's possible to experience. All right, so first, what is joy? Uh, so if you've been with us in the series, uh, you know that last week we started looking at the actual fruit of the Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, that fruit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And last week, we emphasized a couple of things, but specifically that the fruit of the Spirit is a singular fruit in the sense that Christians in whom the Spirit is at work ought to reflect all of those elements of the fruit. And that unlike the gifts of the Spirit that are given to some people and not given to others, the fruit of the Spirit is for all Christians at all times in all seasons. And now last week, we looked at the first aspect of the fruit, which was love. And what we said is that in many ways, love is the most central aspect of the fruit, as it's uh, love uh, from love that all other aspects kind of flow. You know, we said that if the fruit of the Spirit is an apple, love in many ways is the core. But it's interesting that the very next fruit after love is joy. And here's why that's interesting. One biblical commentator made a really interesting connection uh, to the fruit of the Spirit to Romans 13, specifically connecting uh, love and joy. And I want you to track with me for a second. Let Let me lay something out for you. So in Romans 13, the Apostle Paul makes a statement that love... Is, uh, love is the fulfillment of the law, okay? And then in Psalm 19, we're told that God's law brings delight or brings joy, okay? So love is the fulfillment of the law, and fulfilling God's law brings delight. And the commentator kind of summarizes the thought this way. He says, when love is present, joy cannot be far behind. He goes on to say, moreover, the truth of this statement becomes ever clearer when it is born in the mind that the ability to observe this divine ordinance of love is God's gift. In other words, joy is a divine ordinance of love. It is a gift. Joy is a gift. And I've been sitting with that idea all week as I've been preparing for this. Love is a gift that fulfills the law of God, which results in joy. All of which is a gift. What in the world does all of that mean? What I find to be interesting about this connection is the extent to which the experience of joy is completely rooted in something that is a gift to us, that it flows out of something that has been done for us. It is rooted in the fulfillment of God's law and his good intentions for us. And we can miss some of this reality, right? What the Bible is talking about with joy, we miss a little bit, of it in some of our English translations of the Bible. Uh, If you'll allow me just for a moment, I want to geek in the Greek for a minute because I think it's helpful for us to see how the Bible describes these various words. And just as a side note, um, I remember before I went to seminary, I had a friend who had been to seminary and he was talking about biblical languages and what it meant to him to study the biblical languages. And he said something to me that kind of struck me at the time. He said, you know, the English version of the Bible, it's like watching a black and white TV. Right? There's, there's nothing more that you need to understand um, than what is exactly laid out there for you in your English translations. Everything that needs to be known is known. It's all perfectly clear. But when studying the original languages, he said, it takes you from a black and white TV into color. I thought that was interesting, and it kind of stuck with me. And when he said that to me, I was like, yes, I can't wait. Uh, And then I started having to memorize Greek and Hebrew grammar. And then I think back to that conversation. (laughs) My only thought was like, lies, you lied to me. But all that just to say, the languages, uh, studying the biblical languages, they definitely bring some color. 
They're not required for knowing the Word of God. So every time I bring up something in the languages, don't feel like you need to know the languages in order to understand the Word of God. Everything you need to know is there and plain. But with that said, let me sprinkle some color all right, on this passage. So in Greek, the word joy is part of a family of words with the same root. Okay, so kara means joy, which has the same root as charisma, which means gift, which has the same root as charis, which means grace, which has the same root as eucharisto, which means gratitude. In other words, the idea of grace and gift and gratitude are deeply interwoven in the biblical idea of joy. Each of these terms informs and builds on one another. Grace is this unmerited, undeserved favor given by God. Gifts are the consequences of grace, as they are undeserved and unmerited favor that manifests into the good gifts that God gives to his children. And joy is the feeling or the response, the gratitude that comes as a result of this gift, of this grace. That's what joy is. It's deeply tied to grace and gratitude and the gifts of God. So when we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, we are told that the proof that the Spirit is at work in us is that we experience the love of God as a gracious gift of God that produces in us a joy in God, a gratitude to God. Joy is the remembrance of God's gracious gift of love to his people. That is what joy is. Now, when I started, uh, having said all that, when I started, I stated that joy can seem really idealistic when explained and when described. You know, for some, it's a beautiful picture of joy being this uh, beautiful uh, um, cacophony of God's goodness and his grace and his gifts toward his people. But more often than not, even as I describe all of that, we know that joy does not come simply through an explanation. Me telling you that you ought to experience joy because of God's goodness or God's gifts or God's grace, it doesn't necessarily well up in us. But rather, what I want us to see is that with that understanding of what joy is, I think we can better understand joy when we begin to see what joy actually produces in us. The, the, the fruit of what we will see once, fruit, or once joy is beginning to grow within us. So let's consider that, what it produces. Uh, I think one of the most practical um, passages on joy and processing what joy produces is found in James 1, which you just heard read a minute ago. Uh, let me read it to you again. James says this. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. All right, hear this. This is what he calls pure joy. He says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. See, joy is when our faith produces perseverance. That's when you know you're experiencing joy, when you experience perseverance. I mean, look at how James postulates that joy is connected to perseverance. First, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Stop there for a second. Isn't that completely 
counterintuitive to what we assume that we ought to be thinking about when we think about joy. Because often we associate the experience of joy with a life that is free from trials and tribulations, free from pain and sorrow. Pain, sorrow, and trials seem to be antithetical to joy and to happiness. And yet James is making the case that they are part of what it means to experience joy. Why is that? Well, again, he goes on to say, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, which in our language, as we've been through this series, it it leads us to maturity or growth in Christian character. And so biblical joy is not detached from the suffering in this life, but rather biblical joy is the development of a greater faith in the gracious gifts of God, even in the midst of suffering. Growth almost never happens through easy, passive, comfortable experiences in life. Anyone who has ever suffered or experienced trials in life knows that those hard times that you experienced, if you let them, they bring you to the other side of that trial with a greater wisdom and a greater empathy and a greater trust, all of which is impossible to experience without the hardship. I mean, as a pastor, I have found it consistently to be true that the wisest, gracious, most godly people I know have learned this passage well, that joy, faith, and perseverance come from suffering. Now, I want to make a pretty sweeping statement, which I know can be dangerous, but I do think this is a particular challenge for us in Western, especially middle-class, affluent societies. And by affluent, I don't mean wealthy, but you know, in the grand scheme of human existence, Western society is one of the most affluent that the world has ever seen. So much of the American dream is built on the pursuit of comfort and pleasure and a lack of suffering. And this is why so often when suffering does come, so many of us do not know how to handle it. We too often don't trust that God could be allowing these trials in our lives to strengthen us. And as a result, we're left disoriented or angry or doubt-filled because of our obsession with comfort, as though something good could not come through that trial or tribulation or pain. And that's not to say that we don't suffer. We sure do. But I wonder how often we're able to build the kind of instincts that James is discussing here, where we can see perseverance and joy develop, even through the midst of suffering. I've told you this story before, but several years ago, I read um, a story about a pastor in Nigeria who was being persecuted under Boko Haram. Uh, This whole article was written about several pastors, but in particular, focused on a pastor, uh, Pastor Omu, and his experiences there. And this is what the article uh, said, and I come back to this article probably a couple times a year. This is how, this is uh, Pastor Omu's experience. He says, as the attackers held a knife to his throat, a gunshot fired outside the church and they fled. During another attack, he was hit with a machete on his head, neck, and back. Pastor Omu said his main source of comfort has been that Jesus said that this would happen. And since persecution is certainly taking place, he reasons that surely Christ's other promises are true as well. He goes on to say, 
that he felt discouraged after losing his churches and his home. But Pastor Omu knows God is still in control. He said this, it hurts a lot. The word of God always comforts me, he says. And so I worship him more. I mean, what is that? That is a deepening of faith in the goodness and promises and gifts of God, in the gifts of God's grace, even in the midst of terrible sorrow. That is Pastor Omu with a knife to his neck saying, I consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever I face trials and persecutions, because I know the testing of my faith produces perseverance, so that let perseverance finish its work, so that I may mature and be complete. I mean, that, my friends, is joy. You know, there's a famous passage in Nehemiah 8 where Ezra says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you see why? Joy in the Lord is the remembrance of his goodness and his grace. And when our minds go there, even in the midst of hardships, nothing can take that from us. So that when, we, when things stand against us, when we experience some of the hardest trials of our lives, the joy of the Lord still remains. We know this to be true. No one wants to suffer. No one wants to suffer for the purpose of maturity or growing in joy. But we all will suffer. And are you able to see that the experiences that we have are an opportunity for growth? I know that I can, and I know that many of you can as well, attest to the fact that some of life's hardest seasons were some of the most faith-building seasons as well. I've got a list of them, a list of painful circumstances that I never would want to go through again, and yet I know that my faith in the Lord was greatly deepened through those trials. But as I look back on those hard times, do you know what I, do you know what I, the thing that produces joy in me is even though they were painful, I also can see God's grace through it. I can see God's grace powerfully evident in my life in the midst of those struggles, in those seasons. By remembering anew his grace, my faith grew stronger. And I know that for many of you, I've had these conversations with many of you. I know that's been the case for you as well that trusting the Lord in the midst of it brought a greater trust and faith in him. And I just want to emphasize again, that is unmatched joy. So let me recap that for a second. When we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, we experience joy. That joy is rooted in the gracious gift of God, God's love that results in us this gratitude that deepens our faith so that we might persevere to maturity. Okay, so if that's all true, why is that possible? Because everything that I just said about joy, outside of what I've described from a biblical perspective on joy, is not the way that we tend to pursue joy or understand joy. Right? The world doesn't have these kinds of concepts for joy. So often joy and happiness are really just about, again, pursuing what's going to make me feel the best. It's going to be that which produces the most comfortable kind of life, the greatest fulfillment in life. But what happens when life is uncomfortable, when everything that you dreamed of doesn't come to fruition, and your life ends up the exact opposite of what you thought it would be? Does that mean 
that your life cannot be marked by any kind of joy? For many, yeah, that's, that's true. But within the Christian understanding of joy, none of life's circumstances or any of life's disappointments have anything to do with our joy because of what we're going to see next, because of why joy is possible for the Christian. In uh, John 13 through 17, it's known as the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, That section of uh, the Gospel of John is Jesus spending time with his disciples just one last time before he goes to the cross. Now, as you can imagine, given uh, that Jesus is about to die, Jesus wants to make sure that he is clear about some things with his disciples before he dies. And on these, you know, one of these days, I think we're going to have to do a a whole series through that, that specific section, but there's a really interesting section on joy in chapter 15 where Jesus makes this statement. Let me read this for you. It's a little bit longer, so follow me. Uh, John 15, starting in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Hear this. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then later on, knowing that he's going to die soon, in verse 22, he says, So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And do you see what Jesus just said there? He said, listen, you're going to grieve because you're about to watch me suffer and die. The cross is going to be very hard, disciples, for you to witness. But though I am going to the cross, it is my joy to do so. Isn't that something? Jesus saw the coming of the cross as his joy. Why? So that his joy might be complete in us. He said that I'm about to experience the cross, but you will see me again and you will rejoice and no one will take away that joy. Why? Because I told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. The joy we experience flows from the joy that Jesus experiences. Our joy is his joy. What does that look like? Uh, Oswald Chambers, who wrote a famous devotional, maybe some of you have heard of, my utmost for his highest. When looking at John 15, Chambers puts it this way. He says, the joy of Jesus was his absolute surrender and self-sacrifice to his father, the joy of doing that which the father sent him to do, who for the joy had set before him endured the cross, Hebrews 12. See, in Jesus and in his cross is where everything you and I can, it has everything that you and I look to for joy. It's where all of joy comes together at the cross of Jesus. Jesus is the gracious gift of God's love. Jesus comes to experience not a life free of trials and suffering, but rather Jesus is called the man of sorrows, the cross, the most profound of those sorrows. Yet Jesus in this cross was no victim, but rather he was a victor. How? I mean, what is joy? I mean, his joy was the redemption, the salvation of his people, the salvation of those who trust in him. But that redemption and salvation and joy experience comes only 
on the other side of the cross, only on the other side of suffering. And Chambers points out that joy, that the joy that was produced came through his absolute surrender to the Father. And when we trust in what Jesus has done, when looking upon the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, and when we surrender ourselves to him and to him alone, that is when joy becomes his joy, becomes our joy. When we are unified to him in that way. See, the fruit of the Spirit is rooted in Jesus and in his cross and his resurrection. The Holy Spirit is the one who is constantly making much of Jesus and applies this work of Jesus to those who trust in him, including that experience of joy. And this is the power of this kind of joy. I mean, do you see how this could never be taken from you? Life circumstances uh, might make life hard, and it might at times make the experience of joy less tangible at times. But that joy, it cannot be taken by life circumstances. And growing in Christian character recognizes that through joy, there's a gift. And that for us, this gift that we're given, it's certainly a gift that is given to us, but something that's important for us to also remember, as we've seen already throughout this series, is though it is given to us, it's also something that we steward. It's also something that we, uh, we must begin to cultivate more and more in our lives. Like all fruit, cultivating it brings the greatest experiences of it. We can cultivate a posture of joy so that when life circumstances do come, our instincts take over. The reason why I often think about Pastor Omu and his persecution is that his experience of joy in the midst of sorrows did not just happen. Right? You don't go a lifetime never cultivating joy and then have a neck put at, or knife put at your neck and expect joy to just kick in. Right? The joy that he experienced was something that he had cultivated over time. It became a habit for him. And the habit is a constant remembrance of the promises of God, the gracious gift of God, the gracious love of God in Jesus. Let me close with this. I often think about uh, Psalm 103. I actually was talking to my daughter about this um, not too long ago. In the Psalm, King David says this. Probably will sound familiar, but he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. What is that? Here's what I think that is. I think that is King David building a habit. I think that's King David cultivating joy. I mean, what does he say? He says, bless the Lord, oh my soul. What's he doing? He's talking to himself. He's saying, do it, David. Bless the Lord and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. Remember, bless the Lord. I tell you, the more and more we're able to do that in a regular rhythm, we are cultivating biblical joy because we're forcing ourselves to never forget the gracious love of God, the promises of God. That will produce in us perseverance through those hard times, and on the other side of those difficult times, we will experience a deeper faith and a greater joy. 
And I know this, I know you know this, I know this to be true for myself. There will be times when I don't feel joyous. But friends, that is the best time to be cultivating joy, to be building that habit of joy. Just do it. Talk to yourself. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And remember, Jesus, the joy that he experienced through the cross, a joy that came as a result of him going to the cross for the salvation of his people. Think on such things that his joy might be complete in you. May the gospel of Jesus Christ be our endless, limitless, bottomless source of everlasting joy. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for what he has accomplished on the cross. We thank you that he reminds us that the cross was his joy. And it was his joy ultimately because it was him surrendering and submitting to your will. But it was also his joy. For on the other side of the cross came the redemption of his people. God, I pray that his joy would be made complete in us that as we experience our own crosses, our own struggles and hardships in life, that we would remember that as we trust in you through those hard times, it's producing perseverance, which produces a greater faith in you and a greater joy. May your spirit put our mind on such things. Help us cultivate this joy in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc.